Bluebells by Sarah Hitchcock. The scent of bluebells intoxicating, a green smell turns my stomach, and the sight of the shimmering blue carpet chokes me. But I'm drawn to these woods at this time of year and have been for 40 years. I hope this will be the last time. My hands slip, sweaty on the steering wheel, and the familiar tight band is squeezing my chest. Sunlight flickers over the windshield as the woods begin to enfold the road. Bella, my springer spaniel, is bouncing about the boot, sniffing enthusiastically between the bars that keep her from bouncing over me. She sucks in the scented draught from my open window, hoovering up April, the woods, new growth, the stench of bluebells. A familiar section of stone wall at a turn in the lane. Beyond, the woods will surround this stretch of road, a vista of blue on either side. This place is famous for bluebells, and people come from miles around to see them. I came a long way too. I moved away three decades ago. But I never miss my annual pilgrimage. I owe it to Fran. Even though I'm expecting it, as I round the bend, the powder blue, deep blue, undulating sea of flowers makes my head spin. Then the sight is blocked as the road dips between Cotswold stone walls. I'm gripping the steering wheel and holding my breath, my heart stuttering in my ribs like a moth in a lantern. And like the moth, I feel my life may suddenly snuff out, frazzle, sizzle, and I'll cease to be wishful thinking, perhaps. Parking up, I let Bella loose into the woods and, with a deep breath, follow her in. It's bright, the path only shadowed with a tracery of bare branches. The trees are still in bud, with here and there an occasional splash of livid green as a sapling attempts to maximise the spring light before being overshadowed by its parent. I can sympathise. My mother died when I was five, and Fran, my sister, was three. So we were brought up by my father. He was a historian, well thought of, published, and he had high expectations for us. He also had high moral values, especially in relation to girls, and never tired of lecturing us on the wickedness of the world and what it would do to us given the chance. Fran and I were close, allies, and would escape the strict regime of home life whenever we could. Escape into the countryside, the woods around our home, the worlds we conjured from our imaginations, our safe places. In our young minds, the return of the bluebells signified hope, lengthening days. The bells, fragile and tremulous, spoke to our tender souls and the hovering otherworldly haze of blue was the perfect backdrop to our innocent fantasies. We peopled the woods with fairy tales. We saw pixies and brownies creep from mossy logs, 
gossamer fairies skimmed the flowers, delighting in the ringing bells that only they and we could hear. A woodpecker was the tap of a dwarf fashioning treasure. A breeze heralded the swift charge of a prince on horseback. A mound was a dragon. Gnarled roots hid a goblin. A ruinous pile of stones was haunted by a witch. Wicked kings and evil uncles stalked the undergrowth. Monsters waited in dark places. But innocence ends, usually slowly, gradually, due to the steady insistence of reality, the drudgery of daily life, usually slowly, but not always. Sometimes it's gone in a moment, a moment that pins you to itself, fixes you to a place and time however much your life flows on, holds you there, binds you. Bella has raced away and is barking out of sight. I whistle to her. There's somewhere we're headed, a place I have to get to, a place that fills me with dread, a place that draws and repels me. She streaks back, crashing past, pounding feet, streaming ears, lolling tongue, glancing up, a glimpse of the whites of her eyes, blurred movement, racing joyfully ahead down the familiar path. Fran ran ahead that day too. She always did. Always. Fran, wait! Her thin legs flash white way down the stippled path a long way away. Wait for me! I'll be the queen of the castle and you're the dirty rascal. She sings back. We're headed for our favourite place, our secret place, the centre of our imaginary world a high ring of bumpy mounds deep in the woods. Father says it's an old fort from long ago. To us it's a palace, the entrance to fairyland, ships sailing the bluebell sea, the green humped backs of whales. In the centre where the land dips like a bowl, we've made a shelter, dragging and stacking branches, weeks of work, a sanctuary, our Eeyore house of sticks. It's Saturday and we have the whole day. I made peanut butter sandwiches and we have cans of fizzy orange, apples and sherbet fountains. I try to catch her up, but the plastic bag of food and essential equipment, like the string of glass beads that once belonged to Mother and the spyglass we made from toilet rolls, is heavy and awkward. It bangs on my legs and cuts into my hand. Fran doesn't have a bag. She always says we'll share carrying, but we never do. I don't mind, really. She's only little. I'm ten. I'm bigger than her and always look out for her. Always. She's already left the path and is toiling up the steep hill to our secret camp. I follow, carefully picking through the bluebells. I can't bear to hurt a single one. I love them. They're so delicate and beautiful. So easy to crush. It takes so much concentration to climb the hill and carry the bag and not step on the flowers that I don't realise I can't see Fran anymore. I'm nearly at the top and I stop to say something. But she's not there. 
Fran? Shh. Fran? Shh. I can't see her at first. She's at the top of the slope, crouched in a tangled fringe of wild clematis, old man's beard. She's peering down into our secret dell. I drop the bag and, in a half-crouch and as quietly as I can, scramble into the hiding place beside her. There's someone in our camp, she breathes in my ear. Her breath smells of cornflakes and milk. I part the screen of dangling stalks, some thick as Tarzan vines, and have a look. I see a hunched-over shape, wearing a greasy Macintosh. It's a man, whispers Fran. I can see that. What's he doing in our camp? How should I know? He's going to spoil everything. Make him go away. I look back at the man. How do you make a grown-up go away? How do you stop them spoiling everything? Fran is looking at me, waiting for me to sort it out like I always do. Always. Um, let's go round to the other side, I say. We can see what he's up to from there. The man looks like a tramp, with lank hair sticking to his head and a grizzled beard. It also looks like he slept in our shelter. How disgusting! How dare he! We crouch behind a thick oak on the far side of the dell to watch him. We found the big sticks we had last week for magic staves. They were just where we'd left them. I feel more confident now we have them. The tramp is bending over a fire, heating something in a blackened can. A thin spiral of smoke as blue as the spring woods trails into the bare canopy, showing dark against the bright sky. What's he doing? whispers Fran. Having breakfast. What's he eating? How should I know? Has he killed something and skinned it? No, tell him to go away. She looks directly at me, her face full of confidence in my ability to sort it out, sort everything out. What if he's dangerous? I say. Like a murderer? Yes, I think he's a wicked goblin and he eats little girls. And I can hear you whispering, says the man. He doesn't look away from his pot, just stirs it and blows on the smoke, but he knows we're here. We duck further behind the tree. Fran is staring at me, wide-eyed, hugging her knees. I can feel my heart racing and banging about. Come on out, lads. Guess I'm using your camp. Would like to see who I've got to thank for their hospitality. We're not boys! Fran stands up, hands on hips, and frowns down at the man. That's done it. I join her and stand a bit in front in case there's trouble. I clutch my stick real tight. Girls, eh? <laughs> he chuckles and carries on stirring. 
It sounds like a secret laugh all to himself. I don't like him. I know better than Fran what men can do. Maybe he is a goblin, like she says. That would be better. Goblins can be vanquished. Why don't you come and join me? I won't bite you. He looks straight at us and grins. His teeth are the colour of tea and one of his eyes is funny. I put an arm out to stop Fran, but she hasn't moved. I can feel her shaking. Suit yourselves. And he goes back to his stirring. I'm not exactly Prince Charming, am I? So he is a goblin then, or maybe a wicked magician. Grown-ups don't talk about fairy tales. This is our camp, says Fran. Suppose you wish I'd go away, he says, looking at me. Yes, I say. He keeps looking at me, his eyes narrow slits. Then he shrugs and goes back to his stirring. Not till I've had my breakfast. Silence stretches out. I don't know what to do. Fran nudges me in the back, but I still don't know what to do. Shame you ain't friendly. You know, it's not a bad camp. Or a couple of girls. He glances at me. It's a sly look. I won't take the bait. But Fran pushes past me and is halfway down the slope before I can stop her. It's the best camp. Better than a boy's, she says. Well, yeah, maybe it is. Oh, my apologies, my lady. And I thank you kindly for the comfort of your lodgings. He gets up and gives Fran a bow. She giggles. I race after her and grab her arm, hold her back. It's a trap. The goblin man looks at me for a long time, then goes back to his can. It's making a sizzling noise and the smoke from under it has gone black. He tuts and knocks it away from the fire with a stick. Is it burnt? What are you eating? Fran leans against me. She stopped shaking and her body feels warm on my bare arm. Beans. Uh, and yes. He starts to scoop the beans into his mouth with a black spoon out of his pocket. He huffs and blows on the scalding food. Steam comes out of his mouth like smoke. Did you sleep in our eel house? Fran pushes away from me. Why does she always have to ask things? I'm going to do it too, she says, slipping and clambering down the last part of the slope. Were you cold? Oh, did you see any badgers? Did the moon elves come out? The goblin man laughs. <laughs> moon elves? Yes, they come out on a full moon. Was it a full moon? Oh, they dance like this. Fran drops her stick and starts to leap and spin like we do when we're on our own. I feel angry. This is our stuff. It's not for grown-ups. She catches her foot and goes down smack on her face near the fire. I know it hurts because she just lies there. The man throws his tin away and jumps up. No! I'm running down the slope, swinging my stick, shouting. He mustn't touch her. I won't let him touch her. My stick hits him. And there's a sound like you get when a coconut is knocked off the shy. The jolt goes up my arm. 
The stick spins away. The man falls down. I run to Fran. The man hasn't moved. Fran has stopped crying, but her nose is running and she shudders when she breathes. I've tied my hanky round the cut on her knee. He still hasn't moved. Is he dead? She looks at me, white-faced, tear-streaked, afraid. I go and stand over the man. I poke him with my stick. There's blood matting his greasy hair. He doesn't move or make a noise or breathe. You killed him, whispers Fran. You killed a man. Not a man. It's a goblin. It's a goblin and it was going to get you. I want to believe this really badly. There's a hollow place in my middle and my legs are wobbly. It was a wicked goblin. Fran is shaking. Yes, he had brown teeth. All goblins have brown teeth. Her own teeth are chattering. What shall we do? Do we need to call the police? No. No, they wouldn't understand. And and anyway, grown-ups can't see goblins. We have to send it back to where it came from. How? Hide it by burying it. In our eel house? No. No, at the base of the ring. It can get straight back to fairyland from there. It took the whole day. I remember how we toiled, scraping the dry earth with sticks, rocks, our hands. The man was heavy. We rolled him and covered him with his blanket and placed his things in with him. A burnt tin of beans, a black spoon. Fran picked bluebells and dropped them in too. They scattered across his stained bedding, fresh against soiled cloth. The grave was not deep, but it was never found. I've been waiting all my life for it to be found. The days following the burial, I was convinced the police would come to the house, talk with father, take me away. I half wanted it, but it never happened. No one was reported missing. As the days turned to weeks, I tried to convince myself he'd been a goblin after all. I tried to convince Fran. She agreed, but we both knew it was a lie. We were never close again. I had failed her. She turned to father for comfort and absolution. She got more love than she bargained for, and that was my fault too. I should have stopped her, stopped him, but I never could. Fran took her own life on her 21st birthday. I've reached the top of the fort. The blue woods shimmer all around me. Down in the dell, our shelter is long gone, but over the years, others have replaced it and been replaced themselves. It's still a favourite place for a camp, a secret camp, a secret. I come here every year, the anniversary of the day I killed him, the man who slept in our camp and who ruined our lives. Some years I've hated him, some years I've been sorry, 
always filled with loathing for that moment, for me, him, father, Fran. But today will be the end of it, the day I unstick myself, the day I send the goblin packing, send all the demons packing. Father is dead and the academic world has finished its eulogies and turned back to its books. There's no reason to hide anymore. There's no reason to keep anything hidden. It can all come out. The quiet birdsong woods are shattered by a burst of static and a tinny synthetic voice. Down on the path, dark and bulky with a Kevlar vest, a policeman fiddles with his radio, looks up at me, nods, and speaks into his shoulder, speaks to the tinny voice. He's found me. It's a shock to see one of the boys in blue here after so long. Funny they're more black than blue, especially set against the trembling sapphire carpet all around. A shock after all the years of secrets and silence. A shock even though I called and asked them to come. My mouth is dry. Bella senses my unease and settles on my foot, growling at the approaching man. The black and white figure huffing up the bank. My nightmare. My delivering angel. As he climbs, his shining boots plough the bluebells, crushing their delicate fragility, destroying them with the weight of his presence. Every step up the bank an obliteration, an end to the blue goblins that torment my soul. And the start of spring. Bluebells was written by Sarah Hitchcock. It was read by Trish Hitchcock. Studio production by Mark Lingwood. Bluebells is part of the Unbound series by Tempest Productions.